I am super excited to announce that we now have a formal partnership with the Prospect Wizard. And when I say wizard, I mean wizard. Obviously, you have a website. This allows you to convert your website traffic visitors directly into leads. It's not just another chatbot, and it's not AI, but it allows a visitor to call, text, or leave a voicemail. Immediately goes to you, your sales team, or anyone else in the club. Instantly, MIT shows a study that if you contact the lead within 10 minutes, chance of them converting goes up nine times that of the average. We got the Atlanta clubs on it, Vita Fitness, Gold's Gym, Mountainside, City Fitness Philly, College Park, become one of the next Halo companies to deploy the wizard. It's easy to use. Go to theprospectwizard.com, get a free 30-day trial. Talk to my boy, Dave Gallon. He will get you all set up and let the leads flow based on the wizard. Go get them. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of bringing Josh from TXV Partners. We're going to talk about early stage investments. We're going to talk about things we should or shouldn't have done in the past. We're going to give people a crash course on being an entrepreneurial investor and angel or strategic. Maybe some of those things don't really mesh together, but we'll find out with Josh today. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, have a good chat today. Awesome. So, you know, we reached out to you because you basically embody what we're trying to do, which is the HALO, yeah. uh, you know, acronym and, and make people better than they were before. And mm-hmm. then basically pass that on on a domino effect. So maybe give people your background on what you've done with human performance and then sure. how that kind of brought you to, you know, the, the, the light side of investing, we'll call it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background, grew up in a real small town called Lake Geneva, about an hour and a half north of Chicago. Um, My childhood was the heart of the Jordan years. So I was obsessed with basketball. You couldn't tell me any different. I was going to play for the Bulls um, and kind of held on to that dream for way too long. But as a byproduct of that, I really fell in love with the process of working out and training myself, Um, you know, anything and everything I could do to become a better basketball player. So probably around late high school, um, although I wasn't willing to admit that I wasn't going to make that dream come true, I was still holding on to it. I was at least wise enough to say, hey, what if I don't play for the Bulls? You know, what then? What what's another way in? What could I do? And so this was, you know, I graduated high school 2001. So we're talking late 90s, early 2000s. um, And I kind of stumbled upon that you could be a strength and conditioning coach, director of performance for an NBA team. And so from there, um, you know, that just seemed like the perfect fit for me. And, uh, you know, I started studying who are the people in positions that I hope to one day get to. Um, and, and what was their path. And so in doing that, that put me in a really good position where, uh, my very first job out of college was actually an internship with the bulls. And so from there, I'm 22, I'm an unpaid intern. Um, you couldn't tell me any different. I made it, you know, I, I had my dream job at that point, um, which I think also was really powerful for, for me, for that to happen, at such, you know, at the very start of my career, because already it got me to start thinking, well, if this is all I set out to do, then I really set the bar way too low. 
Well, I mean, get, get on the get on the squad at at, at twenty two as a yeah. as an intern. You're now in the pro league. It's not like you're trying to build <laughs> up to that. Um, yeah. I think this guy Dana uh, Cavallaria, who um, yep. is the coach for the uh, for the Yankees. I think he was in Tampa mm-hmm. going to college. Basically, just like walked up to the uh, spring training and said, "Like, hey, you need anybody to you know help yeah. out? To some, you know, like um, you know, raps or something." And he, yeah, and he, the guy. Yeah. We're good friends with Steve Waterson, who was the strength and conditioning coach for Tennessee Titans for a long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So those are those are two of the guys that I actually I don't know either of them, but as I was going through my process, those are two of the guys I actually looked up to and kind of studied. Where had they been? How did Dana get to the Yankees? What can I, you know? Yeah, a lot of it's just you know hustling, like being a little bit gregarious. It is. It just it is. People, you know, as as you look at um, well, one thing before I move on. Yeah, we wrote a book called Time to Win Again, 52 Takeaways from Team Sports to Show Business Success. We'll send you a copy if you don't have it. Uh, But we wrote that book after the last dance. Uh, We were working Uh, on bankruptcy during COVID, and we said, oh, oh my God, like we could take time to pause, actually help these businesses think like they're actually running a pro team. Uh, Each season, you can reload your your staff. You know, Mm -hmm. tell me you give them a one-year contract, uh, and then reshuffle the deck. Take timeouts, which nobody takes, right, to fix things. Um, and uh, head of human resources should be director of player personnel, no matter what oh, yeah. company you yep. have in what industry. Uh, so I'd love yep. to get get a copy of the book to you. So how did you end up getting to where you were? And then you you showed some stats on a couple of your LinkedIn articles and posts that mm-hmm. I found really intriguing where you're looking at player uptime, basically, almost like a, uh, mm-hmm. like a SaaS software company saying, like, I'm going to guarantee 99.98% <laughs> uptime. You actually yeah. did that with humans. So talk about yeah. what your special sauce was or how you thought about each person. Yeah. Um, so I'll unpack that. Um, one, you know, how how I got to where I was and having that opportunity so early was, like you said, just hustling, you know, not, not and, and having humility to understand where I was in the game um, within that meaning I knew nothing. And so I sought out anybody and everybody who might know a little bit more than me, which was, you know, anybody I came across that was affiliated with gyms or teams or, you know, anything like that. And just made the most of every introduction, um, every opportunity, and also wasn't afraid to just, you know, ambitiously, optimistically reach out to people that I had no business um, getting a response from because the worst thing that could happen is I don't get a response, but also I would follow up if I didn't get get a response. And so that was kind of a product of one opportunity leading to the next, which put me in a position. My last year of undergrad, I was able to be a student assistant at University of Wisconsin. And the only reason that came was because I refused to take uh, no as an answer for two years straight. I kept asking them if there was an opportunity if they, they had no internship program, they had no volunteer, no, you know, they'd never done that before, which is why they kept telling me, no, I just wouldn't leave it alone. I wouldn't accept that answer. And finally they relented. And so that was kind of the thing that, you know, kicked off my career. And then the second part of your question, um, you know, you're, you're referring to the success we had um, once I moved on to Purdue. And so, right. you know, I ended up, I spent four years uh, first year as an intern, the final three years, I was the assistant strength coach, uh, for the bulls. Then I left and took over as the director of performance for men's basketball at Purdue. 
And over the course of the seven seasons that I was there, across every single player that we had, across every single game that we played, there's a combined total of 2,511 game opportunities, meaning, you know, you multiply players by the number of games. Um, Of that, we had six games missed collectively across all of our players for some type of uh, non-contact or soft tissue injury. The things that, nothing's preventable, but the things that you maybe have a little bit more um, control with. And, you know, I think it's it's a pretty loaded question of how we had that success. I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, I think there's probably a lot of good luck and good fortune in For that, sure. you know. Um, but inside of it, you know, I think it it really was rooted in, starting and and building a very strong foundation. And so the the analogy that I always give as it relates to physical development and training is if you think about, you know, if you were to learn calculus, well if you don't know how to count, if you don't know how to add and subtract, if, you know, you have to go through this process before you can ever get to calculus. I can't just throw you into calculus and expect you to learn it. And the same thing is true with training. It is true for all of us, um, but it's especially true at those elite levels. And what often happens um, when you're working with top college and pro athletes is people will mistake their athleticism because you're dealing, especially in basketball, very, very athletic guys and girls Um, and so it's easy to fool yourself. You know, this guy can jump 35 inches fast as all get out, um, that they can also do very advanced things in the weight room in training. And that's Mm -hmm. often not the case, you know? And so you have to first spend a lot of time to find where everyone is at, break it down to the individual. And you kind of go from a very general um, program, and then you earn the right or the athletes through their training habits, um, and their progress, they earn the right for it to start to become much more detailed, much more individualized. And so, you know, we kind of started there with just, we got to get them to move properly, irrespective of, of load or how much weight or none of that's relevant, just holding positions, moving, right. Um, and then from there, now we can start to layer on, um, you know, maybe some different technologies that are that are telling us more specifically how a guy is responding to not just our training, but also practices, games, things like that. Just having conversations with them, asking them, you know, very simply every day, you know, on a scale of one to five, how well did you sleep? How sore are you? What's your, mo- you know, those basic things. And what you're doing there is you're just collecting a lot of information about each individual. And then you're, you're kind of testing to find because different things are going to work for different guys. And within that process, I think one of the things that really set us apart is I made a big emphasis that this is a partnership. It's not a dictatorship. It's not just me telling you what to do, but it's me empowering you to start to make your own decisions because you recognize what how your body responds and what you need. And so the progress for us and what I think led to the success we had of the health of our players was 
you know, as they come in as freshmen, I was more or less dictating, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's how we're adjusting. But then I was challenging them to start to take the reins. And all of our guys, you know, by call it their junior year, that kind of flipped where they start to come in and they're telling me what they're going to do. And so part of that too within training is, and again, it's true for all of us, but it's magnified at that level is especially when you're in season, you have to hit a moving target. So yep. you can have this like even a week long plan, but, but if, if you try to, you know, put a month long plan or anything like that, it'll last a day. And then it, you're going to blow the whole thing up because life happens. This is Pete Moore. I want to let you in on a little secret. There's this company called Promotion Vault. And what they do is they give out rewards from retailers that allow you to incentivize your members without having to do zero down and one month free or giving away shakes or giving away t-shirts. What you want to do is build a rewards program that lasts, that people value, and that doesn't discount your own products and services. So here's the deal. There's something called Rewards Vault. The Rewards Vault is going to allow a member to set up their own profile. They are going to answer questions. You are going to get those answers. You're going to be able to target those members, and you're going to reward them inside your club, inside your spa, and outside of the club, and outside of the spa to get them to become loyal, to get them to pay their monthly dues, and to be rewarded properly for the actions. A lot of companies are cutting back on rewards. You shouldn't be. Promotion Vault's your answer. Trust me. This is real. Let me take where you're at and all that, you know, testing new technologies, mm-hmm. thinking about programming. We work with a guy up in uh, Canada for a little while named Tony Greco. He focuses on hockey players. Okay. And does a lot yep. of function uh, and movement and working those muscles on everything from, you know, the, the face-off to being in the, in the yeah. corners, like specific movements that, that you do on the ice. You know, as you take all the learnings that you had, you had a great, you know, foundation from professional and college. So any of the mm-hmm. new technologies that look like they could become quote unquote game changers, you, you had access to those to see if they were really yeah. working. So when you work when you start working now on the early stage side, angel side, what are some of the things, maybe as an example, where you're saying like, hey, we, we saw this company, I kind of knew where this was going. Um, and, and we invested in that based on I know, I know what's going to work and what's going to resonate with trainers and with strength and conditioning coaches. And I know some mm-hmm. things are just kind of not really solving a frustration, but they're just basically yeah. like a new gadget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's a really good question. Um, I think throughout my time with the Bulls and at Purdue, um, that was, you know, you're talking – late 2000s through like 2010s. My last year uh, at Purdue was 2018. Um, so I think I was fortunate like to see the first versions of a lot of these technologies, kind of the first attempts. And they were probably one or the other, one way too expensive or two not there yet. Like sounded great in theory, made a bunch of promises. And then you actually got that technology in your hands and started using it and you realize, oh, wow, like it says it can tell me all of this different stuff, but actually the technology isn't fully developed to the point that the data that's coming from it is not just valid, but actually reliable. And so now, and and that was happening, especially throughout the 2010s, there were a lot of companies out there, technology companies 
um, whether it be GPS or heart rate or, you know, monitoring sleep, they were making all these bold claims. And you actually saw some number of high level sports scientists and performance directors throughout, you know, elite sport um, who I think in good faith, they wanted to believe that this data was accurate. And so they're making whole scale decisions um, and almost to like letting the data dictate the decision of what they're doing when in reality, the data is meant to inform the questions that you ask to lead to the decision that you get to. Um, and so I think for me, what was unique was getting to see that evolve and also developing a much more critical eye for, okay, this all sounds great. It actually sounds too good to be true. So now I have to like very closely monitor if this you know, product actually does the thing that it, it, it says it does. But, you know, I think where I saw early was just being able to, you know, we're the first team in, in college basketball, one of the first three in the U.S. to use GPS units um, with all of our, we use stat sports GPS with all of our players every single practice. And, um, well, you, you far, know, how many mm-hmm, miles? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything. How many times they change direction, how fast they're running, you know, and it and then it manages or, or it, it informs you of all these different loads that they're enduring with. And what's really interesting and what you really start to click in on is even if you take a position group, even if you take guards who in a two hour practice, they do every drill together. They're in all the same, you know, everything really? at the end of it it looked vastly different in terms of the toll that it took on their body. And what was really interesting is when you started to then tie that to, you know, we're also looking at their heart rate throughout every practice. I was doing stuff at times to um, try to monitor, you know, how they were sleeping, especially in really stressful periods. Or again, just the, the simple uh, subjective type stuff where every single day I was having them rate their soreness and their mood and all that. And when you started to bring those things together is where you started to really learn a lot to impact um, the the decisions you're making around training and recovery, but also the lifestyle decisions. You know, right. especially there, it's it's college kids. And, and I think that's a good example um, as it relates to the rest of us, like kind of the consumer market is college kids haven't learned to like be off on their own, be adults. Like they don't know how to cook for themselves. They don't know how to, you know, have good sleep hygiene and and stuff like this. And so, you know, you had to use that information to start to find, like, I can't change everything all at once. I can't change how they sleep, how they eat, how they, you know, all of that. So what, what that technology did, you know, and having that individualized data is you start to recognize, okay, what's the, you know, what's, what's the biggest barrier to their success right now? What's, you know, the thing that's most out of whack and, and let's kind of start there because that, that can influence the, the other things. And so as it relates now to, especially investing, it's, you know, trying to look at a lot of these different new products and technologies and, and, and one, you know, almost come at it initially like overly skeptical of whether or not it can actually do. I start off saying like, 
I don't want to do this deal. Convince me that that's yeah. my new wow. yeah. MO. Let me let me go through a couple of things with you because I want to I want to get a couple of things out to the audience here. One is you know angel investing or venture investing. I after after I turned forty, I figured like, hey, I know everything I need to do. I'm not going to make any mistakes. <laughs> I'm going to bat a thousand. Um, yeah, I'm batting like two fifty, maybe three hundred uh, max. When you go into a deal in in this venture firm. Does that come up in a meeting? Say like, look, we're gonna we're gonna put ten bets out there, and you know, one of them could be the next aura which you guys invested in. Mm-hmm. One of them could yep. be future, and there's gonna be ones that we're gonna have to unwind. Uh, we're gonna have to let them go. We're gonna have to have tough conversations. Um, how do you guys? How do you think about that? Or how does a venture firm, you know, make these bets and know that we, we're having some losses, or else we can't make these bets? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know. I and we are really fortunate. We have a few people on our team who are like absolute mathematical wizards. So they run all these different models, throwing different numbers into it. And, uh, you know, basically what it is, is it allows you to form a portfolio construction model. And it's going to be very different every firm um, based on how much money are you investing? What's the stage you're investing? What check sizes? Um, and you're basically playing off, or at least how we look at it, is you're playing off off of like the law of large numbers um, effectively. And so, you know, for our limited partners who are the ones that are investing into our funds, and now it's our responsibility to return that money. The reason why they invest into venture is it it is it's a very risky um, asset class, but it, but within that, when you do well, it's a very asymmetric reward. And so, to your point, and using a, a baseball analogy, if you if you hit a bunch of singles and doubles and you're batting, you know, six hundred, um, that sounds amazing. But in venture, you're going to be a failed. Uh, fund. You have to, yeah, if you have 10 at-bats, you got to swing for the fences every single time in Mm -hmm. the hopes that one or two of those are a home run and the other eight or nine times you're striking out. This is Pete Moore. Here's the last tip for you of the podcast. We are partnered up with a company called Higher Dose, higherdose.com. They are the leader in workout recovery products, infrared technology, LED light masks, neck enhancers, and other products such as PEMF mats and sauna blankets. If you have not gotten on the workout recovery train yet, your time and your stop is now. You got to get these products in there before these workout recovery and spas end up saturating your market. Having your members walk out of the club and going into one of their locations for 200 bucks per month where they're paying 39 to you. Let's become an expert in workout recovery if we are already an authority in workouts. Higher dose, check it out. There's a wholesale code and we look forward to helping you augment your products and services to meet the demands of your members. And hey, let's get people happy, healthy, and sweating and the recovery should be just as good as the workout. So, so let me ask you this question. So the, the firm, yeah, I looked at the backgrounds of, of the uh, of the professionals there. What did, did they find you? Did you find them? And what what role do you play? 
you know, if I was a fly on the wall in the investment committee, they'd be saying, Josh, mm-hmm. you know, is this thing going to actually get to the, you know, the trainers? Is this going to resonate? Is this price point? Could, could that yeah. get through? Um, is this too early, even though it's an early stage deal? You know, is this a 10 year thing that we don't want to fund right. into perpetuity? So what, what, what right. brought you there? Because you have a unique background that I think more and more venture firms and private equity firms are getting resident experts that actually work for them. Yeah, and, yeah, and absolutely. they don't want to go into a deal saying like, oh, we didn't know that, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when 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 I left uh, Purdue, I got recruited to go help co-found company you mentioned, yeah, Future. Future. Um, and so TXV was one of our earliest investors in Future. And coincidentally, it was actually the very first investment they ever made, Marcus and Brandon, my co-founders at, at TXV. Um, and so what was... Um, really like fortunate for me was they had so much skin in the game with us at future that, you know, especially for someone like me coming from the sports world, being a strength coach, I have no idea how to build a startup. I'm just figuring out as I go. And Marcus, who's our CEO, um, was, you know, wanted to do everything that he could to help his investment in future grow. And so we very quickly connected, um, started to have like a weekly one-on-one from when I very first started at Future. And he was just helping me, you know, figure out all the challenges of scaling a company, which, you know, over five years, we were able to scale from seed to we raised Series C close to two years ago. Um, And I personally hired a team of several hundred people. And so Marcus was very instrumental to me of like becoming a mentor. And through that process, I was able to learn a lot about TXB and what he was building and venture and kind of help have a lot of conversations as he was forming his thesis, which ended up being like very parallel to kind of our thesis at Future. Um, And so, you know, through that process, um, I was able to come on as a venture partner two years ago at TXV, which was my first like dip my toes in the water of VC, which that's largely, you know, you're, you're finding deals and, and maybe supporting here or there, but it's very like part-time, however much time you want to put towards it. And I just found myself very quickly. I fell in love with it because it, I think it brought that like coach side out of me. I've always been a coach and a connector. And so it gave me an outlet where I, because of where I sat with future, I'd been getting connected with all the best founders in the human performance space, but I didn't really have an outlet effectively to support them beyond just advice. And so now as a venture partner, that allowed me to start to bring deals to the firm. We did, you know, a few of those deals. And um, about six months ago, as Future was in a really good spot, we're really well positioned. I've kind of coached myself out of a job with, you know, everyone I've hired and developed to be better than me. It was just a perfect timing to come over full time. So now I'm our head of human performance investing. Um, And so I largely lead a lot of the elements around our early stage portfolio. So, you know, my role is kind of be the the first one to go out and find a lot of these deals. So tapping in my network, being resourceful. Um, And also, one of the the interesting things about you doing that is there's a lot of private equity firms and venture firms that just have like a mm-hmm. cold call, you know, get kids out of college and they're just basically calling <laughs> yeah. up CEOs. And it's like, 
if you call, you know, it comes with like, hey, if we invest, like you get yeah. me as part yeah. of this, you know, like a, a part of the draft. Um, we've got a couple of deals that we're going to show you because we get a lot of uh, early stage um, oh, companies cool. that, that come to us. One of them's a, a company that uh, is called Menevy. It has a laser, which basically spots you on on a strike machine. It, it'll, it'll, it has like a pulley oh, okay. system. Very cool. If you can't pull it up, um, it automatically takes it uh, from you. Um, so we're going to send that to you. They just got their patents. And there's cool. another guy, I think it's Mobius, which is the yep. strike machine like that. Um, yep. It's not good for audio, but you see what I was doing, right? Let's tell people. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> not fly, maybe. Uh, not a home run. Um, yeah, so look, I, I think it's important for you to be in there because you could also take entrepreneurs on a path that's mm-hmm. a more direct path to commercialization versus a lot of the mistakes that people make and try to go yeah. into parts of the market that maybe look good on paper, but don't, yep. you actually can't penetrate it with any real. Exactly. Use. Yeah. So we're going to uh, post up all the information about the firm. We're going to put your information up there. I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, sooner than later. That'd be great. I'm gonna actually be down in Austin in, in a in three weeks, so I'll, I'll stick up. Oh, with you on awesome! Um, love for you to use the term uh, "Halo" whenever you feel like it. Uh, cool. Health, active lifestyle, outdoors, and um, happy to welcome you to the capital side of, uh, of the Halo. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're trying to solve obesity, loneliness, and diabetes, and the yep. only way to do that is make sure that the entrepreneurs that have solutions, you know, are able to get capital. And yeah, so. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Great. Uh, no, I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, I keep posting good stuff on LinkedIn. It inspires me. I will. I will. Thank you. Awesome.